0: Quick PSA for our listeners who are U.S. citizens, the 2020 election season is now upon us and it is so important that you make your voice be heard. Please go to www.vote.org to find out all voting information you might need and be sure to vote early. Again, that website is www.vote.org. Plan your vote and enjoy the show.
1: Computer, initialize HollowSuite.
0: Suite Media. Hello, listeners, and welcome to There Are Four Questions, a Star Trek Spotlight podcast. I'm your host, Christopher D. Littlefield, and in the interrogation chamber with me today is artist, graphic designer, writer, co-host of the podcast Infinite Trek, and co-author of the book Star Trek, The Official Guide to the Animated Series, Aaron Harvey. Aaron, how are you today?
1: I'm hanging in there. Uh, As as some of you might know, when this comes out, that California is on fire. uh uh, and the the big fire that's in the los angeles area is about 11 miles from our place so uh we don't think we'll have to evacuate because it would have to go through like a city and then you're gonna end up being like it's apocalypse at that point um so i think they would do a lot to stop it before it got to where we are we're near the rose bowl so we have that also as a defense like they're gonna want to keep the rose bowl from burning down so
0: It's been a while since I've been out to LA, but I really love it over there. I'm so sorry that that's going on. It's so terrible.
1: Yeah, it looks like it's, uh, you know, four in the afternoon at 11 a.m. And you go outside and it looks like uh, an alien sky, you know, like with the the sun looks like a red blob, you know, it's just, it's, it doesn't look like San Francisco did though. That was a Blade Runner-esque. That was, that was crazy. We're not that bad.
0: Nah, that's that's awful. But hopefully by the time this episode drops, <laughs> yes. things will be better.
1: Yep. Well they have it six percent contained, so that's something. That's that's a start. Yeah. It's gonna get to the point where there's nothing to burn. It's just gonna kind of peter oh, out. Well,
0: thanks for taking some time out of the, the apocalypse to be here today. <laughs> You're welcome. Listeners, this podcast is all about interviewing Star Trek fans, podcast hosts, and other very special guests like Aaron here and asking them, you guessed it, four questions related to their Star Trek experience. To join the conversation on Facebook, type The Nexus into the search field and join Holosuite Media's listeners group. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at 4 Trek, and that's the number four not spelled out. All right, Aaron, let's go ahead and get started. Now, keep in mind that as the interrogator, I reserve the right to ask any follow-up questions in order to obtain the additional intelligence that I might need. Okay. You ready to go?
1: I'm ready as I'll ever be. All right.
0: Question one. So you and I don't know each other terribly well, other than some interacting through mutual friends and other networks. So let's start off with the basics what is your star trek origin story and why do you keep on trekking
1: uh let's see i'm i remember first watching star trek with my grandfather uh sitting on his lap basically when i was like two or three um and that i remember one early conversation how he was really upset that the astrogator on the ship was basically a slide rule because he worked <laughs> for Lockheed he was an aircraft uh, vice president He's like, we have computers on our planes now that do way more than this does like why is it a slide rule um, which is funny because it's I, I've inherited that I'll do stuff like that. It doesn't mean that I don't enjoy the show but I will be able to be like what what no come on yeah you know. Like in discovery, they could have sent a robot in instead of a human, and they wouldn't get blown up. Uh, things like that. Mm-hmm. But uh, no. So that was that was you know my first was TOS, and then very shortly the animated series came out. And as a child, I would be very confused as to. I didn't understand programming or when things were on at that point. So I was like, why is this animated? Why is this the live action? Whatever it was I thought it would be, it was the exact opposite. So huh. I would always be kind of like disappointed that it was, oh, this is the cartoon version or whatever. <laughs> so, um, no, but I, I, I liked Star Trek. And, and then as the seventies went on, of course, I like every child in the mid seventies, I was into Star Wars, but my grandparents didn't understand the difference between Star Wars and Star Trek. So I kept getting, um, you know, Star Trek schematic books and all these things that were not Star Wars. And it was sort of like the universe is just like telling me, Star Trek, you're interested in Star Trek. <laughs> so I ended up with the, uh, the Blueprint book. Uh, and yeah. um, at some point, the I don't have the original one, but I got another copy of it. Because the, uh, the, the book with all the ships and like mid-70s
0: Oh. It's oh, the man, I the I non-canon
1: see. one that, that people, oh, Franz Joseph's book. Okay. I don't remember, yeah, anyway, so I had that. Um, and I have a lot of this stuff that I originally got. I, for, I'm surprised for like a, a six and a seven-year-old kid to not destroy everything. It's <laughs> like, I've got uh, poster books that are like almost in mint condition. I've got my first issue at Starlog magazine.
0: Oh, so, cool.
1: Yeah, so I, I kept, kept those things really well. Um, but no, Star Trek just became, it was just sort of like part of my life. And I think what was interesting is that growing up with a heart condition, I saw this future where the medical science was you know, further advanced than ours. And so the the issue that I had wouldn't be a problem in the twenty first or twenty fourth century or twenty third century. Um, so that was, you know kind of my 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 dream would be like, oh, maybe we'll get to that future at some point. and knowing that, Real life science normally eclipses sci-fi I'm like, okay, maybe we'll get there a lot quicker than than the twenty third century and in some ways we have some things um, right. but yeah and and you know, going into high school when the next generation came out uh watching Picard get a get a heart transplant or an artificial heart, which I thought yeah. was weird at the time. I really was sure that he would have had some sort of genetically grown heart. I'm like, wait what you right. know. Yeah, and I was like, I know that the Clone Wars, or the the Clone Wars, there's Star Wars, Uh, the the, uh, uh, eugenics wars. Eugenics
0: wars, yeah. yeah,
1: People didn't like messing with your genes and cloning and all that. But that's a, I think that you could separate cloning and organ for health reasons. And I could see him getting like the artificial heart on the space station or something, because that's all they had as an emergency stopgap measure, then as soon as he went back in, they would like, okay, now we're going to grow you a new heart and come back. Yeah, in they six grow, months. Crusher grew,
0: warf a new spine. Right.
1: Well, that was <laughs> apparently like, you know, radical at that point, but
0: yeah, but yeah,
1: so that was, uh, that was one of those things and going back to where my grandfather, you know, had been questioning things like, why, why was this, that, but still, I just, the medical technology I think was really interesting and, um, I, and of course, I was a starship guy because my grandfather. I grew up with aircraft stuff around me all the time, mm-hmm. so the, the the having having that base of information and then seeing the uh, the starships, I could see where things had analogs in the real world, and it was kind of interesting just to see how the people who designed these ships clearly were were also people who were in either the the military or the you know or interested in aviation. So there was a lot of it felt realistic in some ways where Star Wars just felt fanciful. It was like hot rods in space, but mm-hmm. Star Trek at least felt like, okay, this, this could happen. Yeah. So that's sort of, you know, that, that was where I kind of came from as far as like the the whole background of it. And
0: you kept watching throughout all the the subsequent spin-offs and series and films yeah. and all that.
1: Um, it was funny because Deep Space Nine and I didn't connect right away at first. Um, we all sat down to watch it uh the the premiere and we're just like waiting for the intro to pick up it's like da da da, da oh right da, da, da like okay when's it gonna take off and it's just like it's like just kind of waltzing around and like and then that you're waiting there's this if you were part of only knowing TNG, TAS and uh TOS, you're just waiting for a ship to go flying by. And when it doesn't happen, there's this weird like you're unfulfilled or like just It feels like you're about ready to sneeze and then don't. (laughs) So it was. was, There was a little bit odd in there, but I I actually I liked it right off the bat. And then um, I actually liked more of the early at the time the earlier seasons that were more kind of self contained and and more like you know everybody rags on uh, Move Along Home. I thought the concept was interesting. You know, just the idea that there's a whole culture that just relates to people through games and just doesn't understand like why are you upset about this? This is just, and I feel like there'd be a lot more of those sort of interactions with aliens than we actually see. Hmm. So I thought that that was kind of cool. Um, but then we it, it started getting to like, wait, there's a war, this isn't Star Trek. You know, it was like, I was a, you know, of that age where it was just like, I was 20 something and, you know, just just felt like I knew what Star Trek was and that wasn't this, um, but I didn't hate it. It was just, it was it just didn't to- totally click with me. And then I moved to Los Angeles to go to college and Voyager had just started. And I had a friend who was a, a production assistant at Paramount and it was like the first, I, I was in the city where they were recording it. And, you know, when they they do the time travel episode to 1996 and right. they walk around wherever, all the places that I had been, you know, just so that felt pretty cool. And that's when I, I really, really started connecting with Star Trek when I was actually here and on, on the level of, creator as opposed to fan so that was where i started getting it was like hey i could do this i remember writing i sent this letter to him i wrote to um eric stillwell before i moved to to los angeles and asked about the the rules for submitting the script and all that stuff and then i had this idea never heard back from him so now that I actually know Eric and we, you know, talk and so I'm like, Hey, look what I found in the garage the other day. He's like, Oh, did I ever answer you? And like, Nope. He goes, Oh, I'm not going to get a very good Yelp reviews, <laughs> like, but it was, it was very, it was funny. Um, because I was, I was a creative writing major. So I kind of thought that I'd be writing scripts or something like that. And just, it just didn't happen. Mm-hmm. But, uh, writing kept, it was, it was good to have that background, but my graphic design background just became a lot more, useful especially when the internet kind of blossomed so sure but yeah so that was I I I just was I always loved special effects and so, so like a lot of Star Trek was very accessible because they talk about those things a lot so that was kind of cool
0: yeah I really find it fascinating in talking with Trek fans and people who you know Trek creatives who who have, you know, what they do and what they like and how that kind of starts merging with their their fandom and all of that. Mm-hmm. It's, it's so cool. Everyone has very uh, different stories. And uh, you talked about writing, which brings us to question number two. You co-wrote <laughs> the book Star Trek, The Official Guide to the Animated Series, which came out uh, last September, September
1: 2019. Yep, just about just over a year ago.
0: Yeah. How did that project come about and how has that experience affected you since its release?
1: That came about uh, with some, with Rick Shepes, my co-author. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were both at Trek Movie and kind of sending messages back and forth on Slack. And I would talk about, you know, like with the podcast that I had, Saturday Morning Trek, it was cool, but there was no way to really show visuals because it was an audio podcast. Actually, the last podcast I did was we did a whole video on the the Bonaventure, um, but it was it was just sort of like, okay, um, I have all these contacts for the people that I've interviewed. It's like, it'd be really cool to kind of put this together in some sort of format. And he had been looking for a, a writing project uh, that he could, you know, instead of just, we're, you know, we were donating our time to Trek Movie, and I did some other things too, for like TrekCore and a couple of, I think TrekCore. Um, so it was one of those, uh things that he just was like hoping that you know hey let's get paid for this but which is hilarious because when you make get a book I'm, i've had people like wow you, you're really set now i'm like you don't understand <laughs> publishing because yeah. we we even cbs is taking a loss on this thing it's just like most mm-hmm. of their books are, are written off as sort of marketing budget because it's it's they don't make a ton of money on these things or any depending right um and because the animated series was such a niche thing, which it seems like it's less of a niche thing now, which is interesting. I would like to think that it's some small part that we've been, you know, part of that, getting, getting the, the word out. Uh, that was the joke in our podcast. We'd end it like, yes, there is an animated series. Because when we first first started it, we put a poll out and asked people, you know, a couple of questions about it. And somebody added a question saying, there's an animated series, question mark. Really? Is there are people who just, yeah. who you, Even in like two thousand. Fourteen, I think so. Yeah, didn't know that uh that there was an animated Star Trek.
0: Wow. Okay.
1: Because it wasn't streaming, I don't think at the time. I bought
0: or, the DVD set when it came out with the little yeah. like, cool plastic white pod thing.
1: I like that that cover or uh, container better than the the Blu-ray. Yeah. I, I keep that on my shelf, and it's like
0: yeah, because it matches the the TOS sets too, sort of.
1: Yeah, and it's got that really cool like plastic Delta that you can mm-hmm. see through and. But yeah, so we were like, okay, let's this'll be fun. Let's let's uh, put together a proposal. And then we were trying to figure out like who do we we knew who who needed to see it at CBS, but it was like, how do we get it in front of that person where it's not just comes in the mail, sits on a desk, and is never seen. So I had done a couple comic book covers for uh the yeah, uh, blue, uh, blue, red, blue lantern. That's great. The Green Lantern. <laughs> I'm from a parallel universe. Green Lantern crossover with Star Trek, the Kelvin universe, uh, and I did a cover for Discovery, but this would be before Discovery. Um, so it was just the 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 Green Lantern cover. So I knew Mike Johnson, who was one of the writers, and we you know talked to him. We talked to a couple other people too, and it's like he said, "Oh wait, I talked to John Van Sitters all the time. Let me just he goes, I want to see this book." I'm like, okay, cool. So we give, we send the email, and we're like, okay, we'll hear about it in you know six months or whatever. Later that day, we got an email that was just like, we love this idea, we want to shop it around. We're like, what? Wow! It was just like this never happens. We had a whole series of events that just don't happen in publishing. We're told, and from what I know, it, you know, other people. Um, so he's like, we're gonna shop it around. Uh, he's like, it could take a week, it could take a month, it could take a year, it might never happen. Just want to let you know that, you know, we'll see if anybody's interested, but that might not not occur. So, um, you know, I set an alarm, this was in, I think, August. Uh, and so I set an alarm or a calendar reminder on my my uh, phone to remind me to check in in December with, with you know, where it's at. Uh, about a week later, we got an email saying there's a publisher who just happens to be looking for an animated series book. I'm Like, what? Wow! It's just like we're we're just blown away by what was happening. We're just this is just just doesn't happen. And everybody was like, totally. "Wait, what? Really?" Like, yeah. So um, they were they were really interested in it, and they CBS did the negotiations, and then it sat with contracts for a really long time but the date that they wanted it published didn't change. So our time was shortened (laughs) and they didn't want us to work on it until it was actually signed. Oh my God. It wasn't signed. So looking back, I think we should have started on it anyway, but our time kept getting more and more compressed and in, yeah, it was was interesting. And then as we started the project, the publishing company was sold in the middle of when this all happened. Oh my God. Yeah. So we lost our, our fantastic editor, got a different editor, Um, the, the project was just, you, you you never knew like, did the new owners want to change it? You know, they were like, then they paused us again. We're like, okay, we can't keep stopping because we're not going to make this deadline. And we were really way down to the like wire when we finally got it out there.
0: How, how far out were you from, from the release date? Uh,
1: this was, oh, from the release date, that was like January of 2019. Okay and um, it was due in April. Wow. So, okay. I mean, I, I think January is when we started, the end of January, is, and then, yeah, in April. So that's, that's the time that we had. Luckily, we had been doing interviews, so we had all that information. Um, and I had all the stuff for my podcast, so mm-hmm. I kind of, we knew what we wanted to do. And thankfully, the, that was the other thing. I had to do the design. So we, that's how Rich and I kind of basically split it up. He took care of the writing. I mean, I had input, and, and we reviewed it and everything. Um, and I did the design. And in fact, I got to the point where I actually got my friend to help do the mechanical layout part of it because there was just not enough time for me to design it and lay it out and get it ready for print. And yeah, um, so there's three of us working on it at the end. Um, but uh, yeah, so we were, you know, we were really lucky when we we did the the pitch that they liked the design so much that it really didn't change that much.
0: That's awesome. Especially since it's official, you know, usually there's right. tons and tons yes. of this this, is, this doesn't look quite like how we want Star Trek branded and it's like...
1: I think that's the one good thing being a graphic designer and marketing that I already knew sort of that stuff. So when I went into it, I didn't like try to do something wacky. I just did, you know, what fit with right. the animated series this and looks like Star knowing Trek, yeah. CBS branding, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, So we didn't have to do a lot except for changing. There was a thing where to internationalize the book, to change it into like German or whatever, it had to be white text on pure black or black on white. That was the only thing you could do. And we had things where we had different colored text for headers and stuff. And it looked really cool. So we had to come up with these really interesting ways of of doing text that didn't that like had a color background or, or not a color background but like something near it that was color or whatever. So we ended up making these bullet points out of deltas that we drew that are pointy' They're, so they don't look exactly like the Star Trek Delta they look more like the ones that they wear on their shirts. So we worked at, I worked with John Cooley uh, just to kind of like because he does badges and stuff like that I'm like okay, if, if the TAS badges were not really a cartoon version of the ones that you see in TOS but their own versions, what do you think of that so we kind of did that so it's um, i'm hoping one day we actually get to turn those into like um you know fan set pins or something totally. like that that would be fun oh yeah um, but they're in the book so you can see the the, the pointy delta in, in in the book um that's what we call the pointy delta <laughs>
0: um
1: but yeah so we we were able to do that and i think the one thing i would change if i went back though i would make things well I, for this book i wouldn't but if i was going to do another book i'd make things more um, standardize. each section is roughly laid out correct the same but there's a lot of uh, customization just because we had fun with it like the the chapter with more tribbles more troubles one page has a triple and the next page has like three and so as you go through there more and more tribbles end up on the page
0: <laughs> nice um,
1: which is really fun uh and some of the things we have like cutouts where the characters are kind of going through the page to the other page you know so there it's neat but it also is a pain to to actually then put into the mechanical way out of the book so it was interesting because i think we we dealt with a lot more of that than the most star trek authors deal with they just sort of like they write stuff right and that's it
0: mm-hmm.
1: um so we got to see all aspects of it so i i, th- I felt like it was a really good um kind of entry into publishing. So if I ever did another book, I kind of know now the pitfalls. Actually, our, our original editor said he goes, "Congratulations, you're writing a book. Also condolences, you're writing a book." <laughs> <laughs> so, it was it's it's very much like it, it's a it's a catch 22. It, it's great and it's also terrible at the same time.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but it's but it's out and
1: yes, it is it's a really surreal experience to go into a bookstore and see something that I worked on for so long, just sitting on a shelf or in the background of a video and somebody like on YouTube, that's what got me more than the books bookstore. Cause I kind of like figured it would be in a bookstore. Um, but seeing other people talk about it and like use it uh, or they'll post pictures on, on Instagram and I'll scroll through and it's like, somebody took my artwork. Oh wait, no. That because <laughs> that's happened before where it's like, I have a fan art that has been turned into posters in China and stuff like that. So I can't do anything about that. So I've, you know, and I don't sell them because that's not my IP. I can sell it through through CBS if mm-hmm. I wanted to, if it somehow. But the stuff that I did for Discovery and Picard were just sort of you know fun fan art stuff, and so I'm I'm used to looking for things that people take it and I just realize, oh wait, no, this is they're just like love this book and they're taking a picture of it, and it's just I've really been really happy. We we both have just been excited with the the response. So uh, you know the there's gonna be hard hardcore people who know as much about the animated series as we are that are gonna be like well this is kind of like light you know where it just feels it 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 is in the sense that we didn't get to because we only had 160 pages we could have gone in and talked about how filmation worked and the day-to-day stuff and Mm -hmm. there there are stories that are you know not maybe as positive as, as the book came out um and kind of the direction we got was like, we're doing an episode guide, not a 60 minutes piece. Sure. So there's a lot of stuff that those people wanted to talk about, but it's more in the 50 year mission books and stuff like that. Right, right. But so those people who are, you know, super duper fans might not get all the information they want. But for the average person, there's a ton of stuff that people just don't know about it. So I think it was a really good overall entry into everything that's happening. And this might be the only animated series book that there ever is officially, you know, who knows, because it is it is still niche. It's not, you know, for Star Trek Day, it didn't even get a hashtag and an icon. And uh. there was no panel about it. There was one screen with trivia and then they played more tribbles, more troubles, which I have to give them credit. I swore that they would have played yesteryear because that's the only episode that anybody outside of the animated series knowledge kind of knows about it. Yeah. The time travel episode where, Spock goes back to his young self and his pet dies and yeah. it's, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I I'm, I'm, was surprised they didn't play that, but they didn't. Um, but, no, I, I was a little disappointed that there wasn't any more representation of that. So
0: Yeah, and I know that you really do love the animated series. And do you find that a lot of the response you're getting, is it from, like, older diehard Trekkers or is it from people who are just discovering TAS
1: or...? Uh, it's funny because the older diehard Trekkers are the ones who are just like, wow, well, this isn't good enough and round well, uh, um, and Of course. <laughs> but the young, the, yeah, I know. The, I know. Surprising, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, shocking. Yeah. I mean, there are, yes, there are other, there are fans that are, classic fans that are very happy that like, oh, yay, somebody finally did something with the animated series. But I found that it's a lot of like younger viewers who are like, I have either didn't know that much about it and now this has got me to go back and watch it. I'm watching it with the book. Um, or, you know, I've always liked the animated series. I'm glad that somebody finally did something. And I don't know why, you know, older fans don't consider it canon or whatever. And it is, by the way, officially canon. It never was not yes. canon. That's, that was the other thing that I really wish that we could have gone into, but they were just like, we don't want to. But that's I think
0: That's such a, you know, that's yeah. a big barrel of, you know, <laughs> to but it, open it, up. It's
1: not as much anymore because Akiva Goldsman went on, a podcast and yeah. spelled out what exactly was canon, and TAS is canon. Yeah. So if we had that information like six months before the book came out, it would have been helpful because we could have actually written that chapter then definitively. Yeah. It's but year four and that, five, basically. Yeah, um, year four, year four. Yeah, okay. and that's actually what what Dorothy also said. Uh, she mm. she considered it. I figure if Dorothy Fontana considered I mean, it, that was like I'm like okay, it is. Whether you think it is or not, even if Gene doesn't think it is, I mean, yeah that was there was a whole weird bunch of stuff happening there was filmation was going out of business and uh larry niven who wrote the known space trilogy who wrote, who did um the slaver weapon episode was starting an rpg which i don't think ever actually happened um so they paramount was like you know it's not that you can't use the animated series stuff but we'd have appreciate if you didn't, because that would just keep us out of having to go to court to, even though we'd win, it's just a pain in the butt. So, Mm -hmm. which, you know, I can see that. Um, But at the same time, Gene Roddenberry's uh, lawyer was kind of, you know, telling him he wouldn't be taken seriously if he was connected with a cartoon. And so I think there's all these little little micro forces, but none Mm -hmm. of them ever decanonized it. It just, you know, Gene said that he would prefer not to ever see animated series stuff in the encyclopedia. So I think that kind of magnified and turned in the fandom into it's not canon.
0: Well, and also the the just the amount of canon was significantly smaller at the time that it came out. I mean, there was only the three seasons of TOS Mm -hmm. when it when it when it started. So, yeah. And even when Next Gen came out, there still wasn't a whole whole lot.
1: Well, yeah this was this was 91 i think when all this happened so there wasn't even a full oh, tng yeah. series right so you know
0: and now we're getting all this shout outs to the animated series with Trek, yeah. track which is so cool
1: yes it started with discovery it continued in um picard mm-hmm. they actually had a Kazinti reference which is cool like they actually asked larry Niven if it was okay Nice. so that was nice
0: and we've got the you know lots of we have more cation representation starting oh, with, yeah. with the kelvin verse de- you know
1: Oh, yeah, true. And the Kelvin universe. And mm-hmm. the, and if you watch the 2009 uh, movie, that's yesteryear parts of it in there, just like the the Vulcan kids beating them up and, oh, yeah. and all that. So it's very much uh, kind of echoes that. Um, but yeah, and then Lower Decks is just oh, kind of God. all out, just, you know, which is great. Mm-hmm. Uh, the next episode, which depending on when you watch it, uh, is going to have an adoption so okay. that's L- lieutenant eric's the three-armed three-legged uh,
0: okay character. okay cool yeah cool
1: so that's you know we saw vendorian who's the, the shapeshifter who looked really awesome it's like i want to see that character that that species back in in lower decks at that some was point.
0: really cool yeah yeah
1: uh we have mariner referencing a phyllosian it's like I'm, she, I'm sure she's a really nice plant person <laughs> yeah. so yeah they uh-huh. had just you know and we saw uh species in the background in the uh, the second episode envoys mm-hmm. uh the Aurelian or score I think it's a score just given by how it's drawn but it could be that nobody cares <laughs> They're just like that's how they drew it and so it just happened to be more like the other one they were based on the same character design but just their the plumage was just slightly altered so Man. I don't know why they didn't just make them the same race I think that just would have been so because nobody knows what the 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 bird person in yesteryear's oh, race yeah. was unless they read the script so that was like, i was like all right okay whatever um but that's that's 1973 for you It's just like whatever they're they're recycling and reusing and like yeah nobody's ever gonna remember this in 50 years you know
0: yeah i mean you know congratulations on the book it's i was Thank it you. was so cool to, to hear when that was coming out and i love that that at least in part this is contributing to tas getting a little bit more recognition and the love that it definitely deserves
1: I hope so. I, it, you know, it was uh, it was a labor of love, that's for sure.
0: Yeah, and we'll we'll let you know, listeners, where to where you can get it uh, later on at the end of the at the end of the show. But I'm going to move on to question three now. I'm going to okay. edit my question a little bit because we kind of covered some oh, sorry. Of, of what was in the. Qu- <laughs> no, it's great. It's great. You know, I just wanted to talk about more about how you're your profession being a graphic designer and an artist merged into Trek but we 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 got a lot of that info with the with the <laughs> with the design of the of the book and with with the comics and stuff
1: yeah. yeah yeah i think it's it's cool that i think one of the reasons that it i relate to some of the people who are behind the scenes more is that being in los angeles you sort of lose that sparkle of stardom like when somebody's like you Mary Shifo uh, Larell is part of my improv uh, class or, or mm-hmm. theater.
0: Well, that, that was actually part of question three, about oh, talking okay. about, you know, what I wanted to know about getting into to being an improv actor, too. And that, that actually
1: is related to Star Trek, believe it or not. No, okay, <laughs> well, then is... I'm, I'm,
0: I'm, I'm going to re-retain re- question three, <laughs> which is okay. being an artist and graphic designer and improv actor. How did you get into those things and how have they related or merged into your Trek fandom?
1: Okay. Uh well <laughs> I talk about the improv part. Uh yeah. actually somebody who the people who listen to our our uh, infinite track our infinite track? That sounds weird. Uh <laughs> Infinite Trek uh joke that uh they have a drinking game anytime Brandy or I refer, uh, reference improv that they get to take a drink. So nice. we've got some drunk viewers, I think. Because <laughs> we both yeah. have the same background. Um so it was uh Comic-Con twenty seventeen. Yeah. Uh and we were all tired at the end of the day. And I was with uh, John Champion of Mission Log. And he's like, I'm going to go see this improvised Star Trek. Do you want to come with me? And I was like, people doing sticky, you know, whose line is it anyway? In Star Trek uniforms does not sound like fun. But it's also, (laughs) I am extremely tired. And it is, I I don't want to drive right now. Like, okay, sure. So we go see it. And I was blown away because it was long form improv with people who clearly had characters that were already you know they had been using before they had backgrounds mm-hmm. uh, and it's funny because like I thought the tech was really good there but it was literally them just turning on and off lights and using music where at our actual theater we have a lot more you know presets and, and everything where the the technical improviser actually is part of the show um, but so we went and saw that I'm just sitting there and uh, Sarah who plays uh, Janie Boots, uh, is the chief engineer, and somebody's like, uh, We need you to go into the space station and check out their warp core. And she's like, Okay. And I lean over to Larry Nemichek, who was an expert. I'm like, Okay, well, they don't really know that much about Star Trek because the, the space stations don't have warp cores. Um, and like two minutes later, she's like, It seems to be okay, but my question is, What is a warp core doing on a space station? Uh, and I'm just nice. like, Oh my God, I love these people <laughs> because they, like, you know, <laughs> they hung a lantern on it, they turned it into a story plot. And, it was just so fun, and, I'll, and when I got back to Los Angeles, I found out that they were, were doing it on a weekly basis about 20 minutes from where I lived. So I'm like, okay, I'm gonna go check these people out. And I created some fan art for the show, and it just sort of, at that point, just took off. And I was doing artwork for the poster and some of their promo stuff, and I started coming to more and more shows that were not you know, uh, the improvised generation we saw. Um, you know, there's uh, X Files improvised. There was a, oh, kind of wow. a, a version of uh, Stranger Things. Uh, check off improvised, not not uh, check off from Star Trek. But <laughs> <check off>. Right, <laughs> like yeah. um, Shakespeare improvised, which is crazy, and I'm, I'm like, I don't know if I would ever get to the point where I could do that. But um, so it's just I just saw the whole breadth of the shows and somebody was just like, well, you know, how many classes have you taken? I'm like, I am not any classes. And I'm like, you, you should go take classes. I'm like, eh. and part of it is I was terrified of being in talking in front of people or being in front of people. So I kind of thought, you know, I'm going to force myself to do this because I kind of promised myself after I had my heart transplant that I would push, you know, things that scared me, I would try and push through because somebody essentially gave up their life not on, um, purpose, but they, you know, and I'm, you know, I want to honor this person by at least trying to live my life as much as I can. And yeah. so I'm like, I took this class. And I, I kind of took to it, I really found out that a, a friend of mine was like, you know, I always thought I was an introvert. And he's like, No, 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 you're an extrovert with introvert tendencies. Uh, I understand that. Which is this is why this whole quarantine thing is so difficult for me, because I finally had like, Okay, I've got friends. I'm out. I'm got a life. I'm doing things, and now I have to basically probably for two years until there's a vaccine and people take it and it's safe for me to go out because I have mm-hmm. a low immune system. Um, now I'm stuck in the house and I'm just like, okay, okay, great. This is if this was before I had met everybody in 2017, it would have been fine because it just would have been like <laughs> pretty much the same thing I was doing. Um, but now it's not. So, <laughs> but. But yeah, so we, uh, you know, I continued doing that. And uh, we had pitched to um, the people from the improvised generation. uh, We have a yearly uh, kind of a fundraiser called uh, Pledge Drive Unscripted. And it's 24 hours, no, 72 hours of improv. Basically, nobody sleeps. It just keeps, it goes. Um, Wow. And so we pitched the idea of uh, the night shift of the McGinley, which is the starship that the the improvised generation is on what, you know what if we had we did the night shift where we're the people who take over when you're sleeping
0: okay so
1: they're like yeah that's cool so we, we pitched that and we, we started practicing and we had the improvised generation people come in and kind of walk us through you know space acting and what they do and how they how they pull out you know their fake phasers and stuff to give the technical improviser time to ready a phaser sound effect or wow. you, know, you have to kind of like make sure you make eye contact with the person when you you tap your com badge so he actually makes the, the sound
0: oh that's so uh, cool. the only thing
1: is that we have to make our own door noises so, so you you get, can go, yeah. yeah and then the last person who walks into the room the quote-unquote room uh has to go and close it nice because sometimes when somebody doesn't do that and they'll call it out it's like aren't you gonna close the door oh, oh great you know, yeah so it on stage that feels like you've made a mistake. But in the audience it's hilarious. So oh, yeah. Yeah. It's really hard to kind of disengage my brain from like, oh crap, I just completely messed that up. But nope. It's just learning to take the silly things and turn them into something that works is is interesting and difficult for me sometimes.
0: And especially for for, for fans in the audience that go regularly, then it just becomes mm-hmm. an inside joke. You know, the the yep. more they go, the more that accumulates. And it's kind of it's it's kind of like you develop your own idea of canon, you know, within within improv. We yeah,
1: you know, we really do have our own canon within the improvised generation and night shift. Uh there was one point where Paul Hungerford, who plays Commander Jack Deadman, there's a lot of similarities <laughs> between our two shows and lower decks. It is very weird. I can um, imagine. we even had Romulan whiskey, which I'm just like, what? Oh wow. <laughs> and if Andorian Absinthe shows up, then that's also, that was us. Or then somebody's in the audience watching. Somebody's, that. yeah, somebody's <laughs> scouting. Taking <notes>. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I don't think that happened. Maybe uh, it's
0: David Mack. Maybe he's paying attention. I know he he helps <laughs> them out a lot. <laughs> I don't
1: think he's in LA, though, is he?
0: No, he's in New York. But yeah, you never know.
1: Yeah, <laughs> uh, uh, the shows were on YouTube at some point. So, uh.
0: uh,
1: so yeah. So, yeah. Um, the uh paul hungerford was trying to say Precy square but couldn't remember it so he called it bounce ball <laughs> so, <laughs> so we now have like the the galactic bounce ball championship and it's just that's separate from free squares it's this other game now so yeah oh, that's that was cool that was great and so you know we we did this one episode i played a trill uh a trill scientist which i i made myself have to know uh, techno Babble and be 400 years old or 500 you know of memory so I'm like why did I do that to myself? I don't know um, it was interesting and, and my uh, my dead husband was the trill that was inside so it's like basically oh God. We were on it yeah so it's like I have this weird it, I think if we redid the character I wouldn't have done that but it was interesting on paper and I think right. it would have been interesting in a book but it's really hard to kind of explain that on stage. And after about two episodes, it just disappeared. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it, it still probably is a thing, but you know, it just isn't brought up. Uh, he was very angsty at first and that just didn't, that wasn't really fun either. Um, Cause we tried to, <laughs> the idea was to make the show as realistic as possible, but still be, you know, comedic and right. you know improv basically. So it's, mm-hmm. and we had the same uh, kind of conversation that they had in the last episode of Lower Decks where it's like, these people all have a specific, a certain level of competency and goodness to them because they wouldn't have got to this position. And we want the show to be realistic where if you got like, we have really big Star Trek audience, fan members we got, we have Mary Shifo sometimes and you know, watching us real Star Trek people, writers from Star Trek have come and watched it. Um, That you want the characters to feel like they could be real. Like if you put these into a serious version of, you know, just like Lower Decks, if you saw those characters come aboard the Enterprise and not doing their you know goofy, sticky stuff, mm-hmm. they would still be you know, like, oh, you could totally see them as, as characters. Right. So, and yeah, so we did that. And then we ended up raising the most money at, for the groups in uh, the Pledge Drive. So that won us a month run. And then after that, we ended up getting a couple more because they needed to fill space so we basically had i think eight episodes so we had a season kind of for <laughs> a short season but yeah so and I, and I don't know what would have happened this year if we were able to have continued it but it, we may do something uh online uh yeah it might be like we're thinking of maybe an rpg like doing it as more of a you know uh, a game uh, kind of the D sort of thing
0: yeah or like a what about a zoom improv situation
1: yeah, there's a there's yeah, that's that's being considered. There's uh, I think a lot of people are still figuring all that out, so we kind of we're not going to jump into it right away. We did have an idea we we're going to do like personal logs where everybody recorded a log and then we just sort of stitched it together in mm. where it made a narrative. We we get asked for one, you know, like what's something that you can't live without, and somebody would you know, we pick that thing and then each person would each record, person. Yeah. yeah, so. We started to do that, but we did it too close to the beginning of the pandemic when it was just no one wanted to do it. <laughs> it was just like, right. nope. So uh, we yeah. may revisit that though, but it was just like, like, I think now that everybody's kind of settled into whatever this life that we're in now is, so I think now is the time to kind of revisit that and go back to it. Definitely. So that's how Star Trek and, and my improv you know came together. The first show I actually did was Improvised Disaster Movie, which my friend, uh, Val and I put together. It was a 1970s disaster movie, so we had a huge <laughs> cast of people, and you know, ridiculous uh, events happened. I think we had a solar flare or solar chunk of something came to, towards us, which is more 80s than 70s, but it was still pretty funny or 90s, I guess. Um, yeah, like
0: late 80s, early 90s, maybe. Yeah.
1: So yeah, so that was that was cool. So that was our first one, and we, had, we went and bought uh, 70s period clothes at a at a, a Clothing at a, um, a thrift store and stuff. So that was just—it was a lot of fun.
0: Wow, that is so cool. I love how, especially creative people, just the different ways that they exp- that they can find and we can find. You know, I'm a musician mm-hmm. yeah. that we can find ways to express our Trek fandom. You know, in the, in the things that we love to do anyway that are creative. Yeah. It's so awesome, and there's so many different ways that people do it. You know. All right, I'm going to move on to question 4 now. Okay. One thing that I really love about the Trek fandom is that we all find ways of dealing with a lot of real life stuff through our love of Trek and you've mentioned before that you've undergone some major health complications. Can you tell me a little bit more about that and how how was that how did that affect your 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 Trek fandom and what would your message be? to other young trek fans who also might be going through similar situations
1: uh sure um i was born with four chambers instead of or two chambers in my heart instead of four um and a leaky valve and a bunch of other stuff and so it was i grew up with the kind of the doctor saying every year that this might be the last year that i'm alive so i kept constantly having the the the, the specter of death but then beating it so in some weird way, I felt invincible at sometimes, It was just, it was very confusing. Um, and when I was about 10, I had an experimental surgery. They flew me to um, uh, the Mayo Clinic in Minnesota, where I ended up living actually at one point. Um, and it was, it's something that is now completely normal. It's like, if if you were born with the same issue I had, you have a surgery really soon after you're born and you'll probably never know that you had a heart problem, but that actually came about from what they learned about from my surgery and a bunch of other surgeries. So it's kind of interesting that I'm part of that, that past. They, uh, I just learned recently that when I had my surgery, it was, I think, uh, something like 20 kids at one time. They just did them well, like one after the other because mm-hmm. they wanted the, the, because there were only few doctors that knew how to do it. And they, wanted this controlled thing and in the end I was the only one who survived.
0: Holy shit.
1: Yeah, I'm just like wait what? Uh my mom's like yeah, we never told you that growing up. I'm like I'm, I'm glad I guess.
0: <laughs> we'll save that for another day.
1: Yeah. Um and my parents, you know, they're in the all the parents are in one room and everybody, you know, and I'm just like that's a bad idea. That is. And so whoa. Yeah, my parents at one point were just like we just had to leave because we were the only one who didn't have a child who had passed away and the other families were not, you know, they, it was, they're very resentful, which I can totally understand. Yeah. Um, so they left and then they, they had to call them back to the hospital because apparently I ended up like my stitches opened up and I was bleeding or something. I don't remember any of this um, because I was so totally knocked out about everything. Um, so they came back and, but it, it was fine. And then, you know, there was, there was recovery and then, uh, about a year later, I had to have a pacemaker put in. So there was still, it was better, but it still wasn't great. Um, so I, I still had a lot of restrictions on, you know, I couldn't do what regular kids did. And, you know, I, riding a bike was something I could finally do. And there's there limited things, but I always had headaches and just blood pressure issues and stuff like that. Salt, I could have, like, no salt because I retain water. And growing up trying to eat food without salt is really difficult (laughs) like not light salt but just like almost no salt um so yeah that was that was challenging and it kind of settled in like when i got to los angeles and my once i went through puberty and kind of like settled into my 20s things started getting better which is like you know i kind of thought that that would be it That you know then this will just be you know i can't do everything but i can do most things and i'll just That'll be what my life is. And uh, in 2012, uh, they basically said that my heart was very, very enlarged and that it was causing secondary issues with like my liver or my kidney. Um, and that they wanted to do a transplant before it became a multi organ transplant. Or if it, like, if the heart was failing, then other things would start failing and it would just be, you know. And I was like, well, do I have to have this? You know what it is? It's just that I just won't have a great life or, you know, they're like, well, you could live, for you know, till you're 90 years old, like with this, but we don't know. Um, and so I don't really know uh, what convinced me to say yes. I I still think back and I'm like, what? It's a blur. Some of it. it was just, I think. My mom always joked about how she, uh, she did not remember the pain of pregnancy or she never would have had another kid. <laughs> so I think that it must've been something like that where my brain is just like, nope, I'm not gonna remember any of this. Um, so they put me on the heart transplant list and they said it would be, you know, probably two years before they found a heart that was a good match because that's how long it normally was taking. Like the book, it happened really quick. <laughs> so I went on the, the list in May and we were like, okay, at Christmas time, when we have a break, we're going to sit down and plan, uh, you know, here's all my passwords. If something happens, if I, you know, what are we going to do with the business? Cause at this point I already had my own graphic design business. So we're going to just lay out the plan for what's going to happen. Once I go into the hospital, two days before Thanksgiving, I get a phone call. We have a heart for you. I'm like, uh, I'm not ready. And they're like, uh that doesn't matter <laughs> yeah it's like it's I, knew. I mean <laughs> the thing is they call you it was it it was in the heart in a box it was like yeah. i actually knew from gray's anatomy which is funny <laughs> and they're like how do you know about that and i'm like gray's anatomy and they're like really <laughs> i'm like yeah they they actually did their research on that show none of that can happen all at one hospital but all of the individual things kind of have happened somewhere um even that 3d heart that they had in one episode is a Israeli technology that as a hologram of the heart it's very cool that's amazing it's it's a hologram inside of like a, a kind of a concave um dome so it's not really completely all around but you can still rotate it And it's very oh cool. that's
0: so cool like neelix's yeah. lens
1: <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> except these you can't put in anything it's just right. for viewing <laughs> um but yeah so i was like okay um so and this call these calls almost always come in the middle of the night or early morning because most often it's traffic accidents or something that has happened that you know so found out that the heart was coming from arizona where my mother actually was so she was on a plane parallel to where the heart was coming out to see me um and they did the transplant and it seemed to be going well i i was had a few more delays than normal i ended up having a uh infection in my lung which i'm taking medicine for for the rest of my life it was just Mm -hmm. they think it was when i lived in washington state and i was out hiking that i probably got some sort of spore in my lung and that my regular you know immune system was taking care of it but as soon as my immune system a lot yeah so like okay so went home finally and then about a month later i had to go back because it ended up that uh, the pacemaker that they removed from me, they had to leave the wires in, and they oh no, they the pacemaker was still there. They were going to remove the pacemaker later because I had been in the surgery for like seventeen hours and they just didn't want to make it more prolonged by having to then take out the thing it doesn't it wasn't necessary. So they just disconnected it from the heart. Um, but the leads that were just sort of floating there ended up getting infected. So went back in, they took out the pacemaker and and I had a tube taking stuff out of me for like a month and a half afterwards. So it was just a lot more stuff than most people go through apparently in transplants. So they're like, yeah, normally you're out of here like in a week. I'm like, what? <laughs> to me, that still sounds like impossibly. Well, it's really weird. Cause the next day, like this is the day after my transplant, I'm totally groggy. You know, you're just, you're not, it's just really hard to explain what it feels like. Then they come in and tell you, we need you to walk. I'm like, what? Yeah. You need to like, keep moving. And we're going to get you to walk around the, the a loop around the, the the ICU. Like you are insane. I have just had my, my chest cracked open, my heart taken out another one put in and you want me to get up and exercise. And they're like, no, yeah, we need you to do that. So it was probably one of the hardest things I've ever done. But if I hadn't done that, I wouldn't have recovered as quickly. And I think I did recover a lot quicker once I got home because before I got there, I was. I wasn't hospitalized. I was, you know, at home. I was gardening. Like I think I walked three miles the day before I had my transplant. Mm-hmm. So by continuing to do that stuff, they said that I put myself in a better position to recover. So, sure. so yeah. So that was sort of that was the craziness. And then, uh,
0: and there were year, some things that.
1: What was that? That was twenty thirteen.
0: Twenty thirteen. Seven years yeah. ago.
1: Yep, and that's that's when I first started uh, connecting with the online trek community because i was hospitalized and Mm. we're at home and you know this is is sort of like a it really set me up to totally be fine socially during quarantine because that's what i had to do basically i was essentially quarantined And, and every flu season i was home for like two months you know not going out and seeing people i mean i could still go to the grocery store and other things that i wish i could do now but um so it's it's a lot easier when not everyone's in quarantine when it's only you uh, mm. but yeah, so i um I started connecting with people on trek f m uh I was doing a complete rewatch of Star Trek because I was like, okay, I've never really done like a top to bottom you know beginning to end just straight through rewatch, and it's like I have the time, and I'm supposed to be resting, I'm not supposed to be thinking about anything else, like I'm gonna do this so you know, I, I watched it in, in order of release of the series. I didn't watch it in chronological order. Okay. Um, so, I did not start the with films. Enterprise. Okay. Uh, yeah, and the films, too. Yeah. So, you stopped
0: uh, in the middle of Next Gen to to watch the uh, TOS films that came out during that time?
1: Oh, no. I think I watched the films all in one chunk.
0: Okay. I was yeah. just wondering how strict you were with it. No, no, no. I
1: wasn't just not that strict. <laughs> I just wanted to get get through them all, and I would go. I would go back and watch other ones that I liked along the way. Right. Like, but uh, you know, this one, I, I Voyager for me. I've always liked Voyager because it was, you know, it was sort of my the show that I saw being put together when I first moved to LA. It just ha- it had a very dot com bubble kind of feel to it. I don't know mm-hmm. why, but they, you know, they had the one scene where. Uh, Paris and um, uh, Kim are sending like text messages essentially back and forth to each other on the bridge.
0: Right.
1: And just that, that felt very, what our lives were like. And it, 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 it connected with those people better than other Star Trek for some reason.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, same for me.
1: You know, it's just, and it was, it was comforting And it, as, as it, I go back and watch now, I guess as 60% of all the Star Trek being streamed on Netflix right now is Voyager. So I think it's also, just comfortable for other people. Um, but yeah, so I, I went back and I was watching the episode with Neelix his lungs actually, and oh no it was not, it was that one, but then the uh, where he died mm-hmm. and basically seven brought him back with nanoprobes
0: and oh, a lot yeah. of his
1: existential that, that was what I was feeling because I something with the medication just made me feel. It, that's actually what kind of set me into depression, unfortunately, because my the chemical makeup of my brain was all soup, basically, um, with all the different medications that I have and, and all the stuff I went through. So it was just, I suddenly was just really having a hard time with everything. And watching that episode kind of helped. And that's that's when I first wrote into uh, Char and Tristan on To The Journey. Uh, and that's kind of what started my whole, start my connection with uh podcasting mm-hmm. and which eventually led to me and Darren Moser creating uh Saturday morning tribe. Wow. So but yeah, so it Star Trek has always been kind of important to me in that sense. And it's never the episodes that people are like, oh you must like inner light or something. No. <laughs> right. i, I it's Picard living in like a suburb of Arizona for a, you know a <laughs> lifetime. Like it's so boring. I don't know. I just I never. I like this Twilight Zone kind of idea of like you've lived an entire lifetime in, you know, twenty minutes. Oh yeah. But the actual content of that life is not terribly interesting to me. Mm-hmm. So, but I like the concept. Uh, yeah. So I've I've always been the person who is, like, great. You love that episode. That's fine. I like this one. I try not to make fun of people for liking any specific episode.
0: Right. I I have a lot of similar similar experiences with some episodes that I like too.
1: I think one of my favorite um ones is with the doctor real life where he creates a family. Right. <laughs> I just like the beginning feels so much like growing pains or something like that. Even the the mom sort of looks like Joanna Kearns. She's got that sort oh, of yeah, sitcom-y. Kind of, yeah. I'm just like, "Oh, this is this, is, this is a it's a sitcom with a doctor." <laughs> And <laughs> then like Balana freezing the program. It's like this is gonna give me a cavity. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they're they're too perfect. Yeah. So yeah. No. So that that's uh, that's kind of my connection with that. So I would say for people who are going through this, you know, reach out to the Star Trek community because everybody there. You know, for as much as you hear about the the fandom menace and the the crappy people who are you know, that is a tiny, tiny portion. And if you ignore them, they don't matter then. So like, there are so many great people out there and if they're podcasters or even creators, it's so different than like anything else. I never would feel like I could just talk to somebody who's made a, you know, motion picture or something, you know, like I can't message Tom Cruise or something like that. Um, not that I want to, (laughs) but, um, (laughs) You know, but you can talk to all these you know these actors and and directors and everybody who's on social media, and they're really open with their you know their thoughts and their time as long as you don't abuse it, obviously. <laughs> but but yeah, so there, I would say, you know, and just reach out to the the Star Trek community and kind of tell them what you're going through. and I think that they'll you'll find somebody who is either gone through the exact same thing and might have some advice or just you know somebody to listen to you know somebody or somebody who will listen to you so yeah right and they'll they'll suggest an episode that will go with whatever you're what is happening you will you will find something that you can kind of oh okay yeah, i see that mhm
0: yeah i i think that's great aaron i i have met so many people and we've seen documentaries with people who have had medical issues or ish- yeah. all sorts of issues i mean yeah obviously on my show since i'm gay there's been a lot we've been trending a a lot towards yeah (laughs) we've been trending a lot towards the lgbtq plus side of things Mm -hmm. which is which is totally fine with me but i think that there's this you know the philosophy of trek we identify so much with it when we're going through stuff that doesn't make us feel great and so you know the best way to kind of work with that philosophy is to bring it into real life. And that's Mm -hmm. part of that's part of how we're gonna get there too, you know? Yeah. And yeah, there's gonna be people that are haters and gonna be shaking their fists and the canonistas and this isn't my Star Trek and all that kind of stuff. But it's like, you know infinite diversity and infinite combinations leaves room for them too. So it's it's a it's a it's a microcosm of the real world anyway, in which we're gonna encounter
1: jerks everywhere. So
0: you know, as long Deanna as Troy
1: said, you're both are just jerks. <laughs> <laughs>
0: right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I think also with infinite diversity, infinite combinations doesn't mean that you also allow, you know, um, you know, the something super negative. I mean, there's, you, you can't be tolerant of intolerance. So there's, there's a, a level of that, but yeah, no, definitely. There's, it, I like the fandom because there is room for everybody. There are the people who... They enjoy finding the, the thing that's wrong with canon and why, you know, because that's, I mean, it's the same way I enjoy spaceships and, and like the little minutia of like, oh, I don't think the starship should be, you know, it should be this warp sound. Or like in the, the last episode of, of Lower Decks where they're all doing different warp sounds. Um, no, 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 it should be a little bit higher. And so, so those sort of things are pe- things that people notice. And if that's right. what brings them joy, great, you know. Oh, yeah. I really like, making sure the things are, you know, I like canon as well. Um, but I also love the Bonaventure in the animated series, which is a ship that does not fit into canon at all anymore. All right. um, so we sort of, you know, we retconned it and the people who are writing books have put it in there have like, it's the first ship with modern warp drive as opposed to the first ship with warp drive at all. And, you know, there's just, there's eh, whatever, you know, it, it doesn't exactly fit, but you can, I kind of feel like each time you're watching an episode, it could just be a slightly different variant on whatever main timeline you're watching anyway. There's been right. so much time travel in Star Trek, oh, I don't yeah. have a problem with things that don't match up because who knows what what part of the timeline that we're actually watching and when was it changed and, you know, kind of like Doctor Who.
0: Or real life. <laughs> well, true. Yeah. Yeah. You know,
1: who knows what history really is like? The multiverse. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. In, uh, supergirl with
0: a. <laughs> mm, I like watching with a critical eye you know i'm not a you know i'm not pollyanna where these yeah. are human these are humans creating something so right things are not always going things are not going to be perfect
1: yeah i mean there are some episodes that are not great <laughs> yeah of course there's a short trek that i'm just like nope i'm gonna pretend that doesn't exist so. which one is that <laughs> Like the triple one. Oh, okay. That actually goes with the whole idea of like, this person shouldn't have made it this far. Right. Like, Starfleet has filters for this and that person should not like, have failed up. And and Uh that just, and along with Fletcher from Lower Decks, those two characters are kind of peas in a pod where it's like, yeah, I don't understand how these people are here in this story, you know?
0: Mm
1: -hmm. There's difference when you have like, an evil admiral. Because at least he's competent. You know, he's got to, these people are just dumb. And it's like, right. that shouldn't have happened. So, oh mm-hmm. well. But uh, just the fact that the last line in that that short track was, he's an idiot. Oh yeah. I'm like, that's not very Star Trek. Which I don't, <laughs> I rarely say that's not, you know, that's not Star Trek. Uh, but that just doesn't feel like it's in the whole, not, not even Gene's vision. Just like the vision in general that people have put together for that show.
0: It was definitely a lot more out of the box than what we've seen than than yeah. any of the other short tracks or episodes
1: and then there was a fake commercial afterwards for Tribbles cereal I'm like what
0: so my my headcanon for that yeah. part is that the, what was the guy's name uh the trouble edward so oh, edward yeah my headcanon is that that commercial was going that was in his head as he was dying from the tribbles and that was his, yeah you know
1: yeah <laughs> I could see that.
0: And I uh, felt the same way when that episode first came out and in subsequent rewatches I've come to really like it a lot more.
1: <laughs> I have not brought myself to watch it again. <laughs> I am glad that right after that I saw the uh, Q&A. So I had uh, like, something yeah. that I really liked kind of to, like watch. And I know people were complaining about uh you know why is Spock singing and he's smiling. I'm like, "Do you remember early Spock?
0: Spock has been smiling since yeah. day
1: 1." He's also a half kid, you know, or half kid, yeah. half human. He's so half going human. back to yeah. when he was a kid. Yeah, it so.
0: reinforces his entire journey when we see moments like that. Yep, and adds depth to it, and 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 makes him more believable.
1: I just love that he knows those lyrics. <laughs> That's yeah, great. Uh, so yeah, so I, I there's there's room for everybody, and if you're having you know, even if you're having a bad day, just go on and find somebody who will lift your spirits. Like watch watch a Jesse Gender video, or you know, check out Steve Shives, or any anybody like that. I'm just plugging all sorts of people's podcasts. But, <laughs> um, you know, check out Infinite Trek Saturdays, at yeah. eleven a.m. on Outpost Thirteen. No, uh, <laughs> uh, there's just it, there's so many people out there that will will help you and just make you feel you know wanted, basically.
0: Oh yeah,
1: I'm part of the group.
0: All right, Aaron, uh, you seem to be just a little bit disoriented right now, so I know that, that you may think that there are four questions here, but there are actually five questions. Oh, no. Are you ready to <laughs>
1: proceed? Uh, do I have a choice? No. <laughs> okay, well, then, then let's, let's go.
0: <laughs> All right, question number five, the network has greenlit a brand new Trek series, and you are going to be the lead designer what does that show look like what's the aesthetic what's it about
1: it this is funny because i've actually thought about this uh, i knew you i thought you might have. <laughs> it's something my roommate and i have talked about it would be uh, star trek dyson sphere it would be
0: Ooh.
1: spending like a, a you know mini series maybe worth of stuff it could, i wouldn't see it going seven years but you know maybe like a 10 episode arc inside the dyson sphere somehow the sun has been stabilized uh, and just experiencing like all these different cultures of going through the through the entire diaster because it's gigantic mm-hmm. you know and so it's it's basically the united federation of planets inside of a big ball you know just all these different groups and and trying to bring those people all together and explain what's happened and you know trying to make sure that they're safe and all that so it's it's just i think that would be really interesting so you get to see a lot more you know, less, less starship stuff, but more stuff on the ground. You get, I would feel it's kind of like Jericho in some ways, I think, mm-hmm. just the, the band of people going from place to place. So, yeah, I would, I and I think visually, I think you could just do a whole lot with just the idea of this just arcing, you know, skyline and, and looking up and seeing the, you know, I don't know how far it would be, but if you actually see the city above you, you know, even when you're looking, so.
0: Oh, that's cool, I'd love that.
1: And you could have a, you know, a station outside of it, obviously, because the door would still be able to, be, it would be open and not trap you inside. You know, unless maybe there's a time when that happens, you know, it depends on how the story goes, but maybe halfway through, they lose contact with the outside because the door shuts again, or maybe the aliens that created it came back. Oh, so, yeah. I think there's there's a lot of options that you could you could really bring into there. I think that would be a lot of fun.
0: I'm excited about this <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's it, it's different. I think it's it feels very Star Trek, but it's also i think it it sets sets itself apart from all the other series because it's it's almost it's based on the land in space. It's just, it's just you know and I just i I love the idea of them encountering all these different cultures and you know going it's it's almost like a throwback to some of those 70s uh, sci-fi shows like Logan's Run, mm-hmm. uh, Planet of the Apes, the the TV series not the movies, where they would go from place to place and every week there'd be a different, you know, so you could make it episodic and still have all these different cultures and and different oh, that's stories. Really cool. So, i It's I, like an... yeah. Maybe i should just redact this. <laughs> just I was actually... going to
0: say like you don't want to <laughs> give away your good stuff. This could this could be a really good thing.
1: <laughs> yeah i might write this as a story though um no but that was that's sort of my concept i think that would be that would be pretty cool i love it and of course there's always the idea of doing a time travel show which you know people and i think that that's kind of like a default one if i just make this sort of it's like star uh star trek time tracks or something like that right like, time trek there you go time trek hmm. yeah it's star trek it's time trek
0: oh yeah and we've got the temporal prime directive that we're dealing yeah. with the whole time
1: and you could uh, run into all the different all the different series that way you could go into you know have uh, somebody shows up in archer's time we could go back to the eugenics wars so we've got you know different you could go back all the way to the you know stone age whatever but yeah. so that's another option
0: oh that's cool oh i want those shows i want them both <laughs> <laughs> Well, Aaron, it's been so great getting to know you better today. And thank you again thank you. for joining me.
1: Thank you for having me. It was a lot of fun.
0: Oh, it was so much fun. And uh, I just I just love your stories. And I, I think that what you're doing is really awesome. And uh, congratulations again on the book. And thank tell you. us everything else that you do and where to find you.
1: Okay. Um, you can find me every week on... Uh, Infinite Trek, which is on outp- on Twitch, which is twitch.com slash outpost13, or do no, I'm sorry, twitch.tv slash outpost13. And uh, outpost13 is a network that's been created kind of by the all the people that were are not able to go into the theater and and a bunch of you know that group. Uh, and we're having on September 13th, which is today, but you can go back and watch it, uh, a kind of a subscription marathon and we are running through all the different shows. And you talk about music. We have this really cool show called Made Up Music, which okay. is once a week, uh, Alex and Arlo create a song over the course of like two or three hours. And they have people in the chat room offer lyrics. They wow. send in beats sometimes. They, you know, oh, they say, give us a number between one and 13 and they'll put that number into the MOOC synthesizer. And that's what the,
0: the oh, beginning cool.
1: tone is or something like that, yeah. So we have these, and, and, A lot of times I create artwork along with it. So I create the track art based on what, you know, how it, it hits me and what I, kind of create a story in my head or whatever. And I like it because it's, you know, it's not a client telling me what to do and do whatever I want. And I try and keep it to the same length that they take to do the music. So I don't have to overthink the design either. Right. Yeah. You just got to do it. (laughs) Yeah. So you can find, find me there. Uh, if you want to find me on Twitter or Instagram, it's at Geek Filter. Eventually, you know, maybe Night Shift will come back or Improvised Generation, something like that. So keep your keep your eyes peeled. So hopefully uh, uh, one sooner or later, we'll be able to get back to doing something. But uh, I'm going to be on a couple of different Outpost 13 shows just guesting. So you can catch me there too. Awesome. So come and subscribe. Oh, and the Infinite Trek is actually on Trek Geeks podcast network uh, the following Tuesday in audio form. So you can watch it, watch us live or you can hear the audio. Awesome. That's me and Brandy Jacola.
0: I know her. uh uh-huh.
1: <laughs> We Love mentioned her. you yesterday on the show. <laughs> you
0: did, and I'm I, I yep. couldn't make it. Uh, okay. I'll watch I'll watch I'll do the rewatch or listen to okay. it. Cool. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks again for being here today. Thank you. You can join the There Are Four Questions conversation on Twitter and Facebook by following us at four questions trek. That's the number four not spelled out. And join our listeners group on Facebook by typing The Nexus into the search field. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at cdlittlefield. Keep an eye out for my next interview coming very soon. Thanks for listening to There Are Four Questions. I see no point in holding you further. You may go.
1: This show is brought to you by Holosuite Media. Computer, list other available Holosuite Media programs.
0: Loading Holosuite Preview Program for Open Channel, a Star Trek community podcast. And it was a very Star Trek way to deal with that type of internal conflict, too. Mm -hmm, You know, I really loved that. She's working it out with her holographic self. And it was also very Jungian, like her subconscious, mm-hmm. her unconscious was becoming conscious. And it was actually her that was that was talking, the actual Mariner that was having the realizations as she was talking to the holographic character, which I thought was really cool. Loading Holosuite preview program for The Janeway, a Star Trek Voyager podcast. Before that timepiece stopped working. Mm-hmm,
1: that really because ugly, he saw it in the shop window. That really ugly timepiece.
0: When I first watched it, I thought, okay, yes, this is a clock that maybe somebody puts on their desk or mm-hmm. on a wall somewhere. But later we see somebody pull the same thing out of their pocket. Do they not have watches? <laughs>
1: yeah. Oh, It's like one of those like huge clunky mobile phones that all they ever did was like call people. It's like, nope, this is just a big clock for my pocket.
0: It's something that Flavor Flav should be wearing around his neck. It's that big
1: and obnoxious. Is that a clock in your pocket, or are you just happy to see me? <laughs> oh, no, no, it's it's just a clock. It's most definitely <laughs> a clock.
0: <laughs> Loading Sweet Preview Program for What the Future Holds, a Star Trek Discovery Podcast.
1: Because we all kind of have that, really. We all have this unconscious part of ourselves that comes to the forefront and says nope.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have an a, adrenal response and so is it similar to that? I mean, are there Kelpians that have stage fright? And so the little ganglia will come up if they have to do public speaking. <laughs> it's it's like probably it's a cool place. we just don't know. Yeah.
1: yeah. If they if they had plays, <laughs> it didn't seem like they really had yeah. that kind of entertainment down on Kamenar. Computer, deactivate Hollow Suite.